On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. The biggest thing that people are looking at, corporations, high income earners, people in general, are income tax rates and corporate rates. The discussion about Iowa's tax policy continues. We'll talk about some of the options currently on the table. Also, Iowa's businesses and communities are eligible for grants from the USDA's Rural Development Program. We'll have details. And in our profile segment, we'll tell you about a business dedicated to helping landowners and farmers maximize their efficiency. This is the Iowa Business Report for the fourth weekend of February 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. We've heard a lot about tax reform in the past several years. Two years ago, the Iowa legislature took major steps in passing a tax reform package, and the governor is proposing building upon that this year as part of her Invest in Iowa initiative. One group, the Tax Education Foundation of Iowa, has thoughts on the topic, with new research offering a variety of options that could not only yield economic growth for the state, but at the same time lower the tax burden on citizens. Walt Rogers is a former member of the Iowa House, who now serves as Deputy Director of the Tax Education Foundation of Iowa. Our goal is really to help every Iowan achieve the American dream. What I'm very happy about is they've really kind of adopted my theme from when I was a legislator, a smaller, smarter government. So we are trying to utilize uh, smaller government, smarter solutions. And so we're going to talk about mostly economic issues, but anything that's going to help uh, any Iowan uh, be better and achieve the American dream, that's what we're about. And to a large degree, it has to do with giving people the information necessary so For that sure. they can make good decisions. And right. I'm always leery of groups that have the word educational in the name because <laughs> th- there seems to be an agenda often. But this is just a matter of saying, if you don't know what's going on and you don't know how policy affects you, then you can't make conscious decisions about elections or public policy. You're 100% correct, uh, Jeff. In fact, as a former legislator, that was some of the frustrating things is as you go out and talk to people, there are so many things that you don't have enough time to educate people about and just, just tell them the simple facts. And so because there's so much uh, spin out there. Uh, we don't get a chance to uh, really get down to just kind of the basics of some of these issues. But uh, and, and the fact that, you know, we're here to help all Iowans uh, achieve, um, you know, something better in their lives. T-E-F-I-O-W-A, T-E-F-Iowa.org is the yep. website. Part of it is to talk about policy and suggest possible alternatives. Correct. And that ties in with some research that your organization supported. Talk a bit, if you would, about this new research, why sure. you thought it was necessary, and the opportunities for discussion and perhaps even deviation from the things that, sure. that were mentioned in this report. Well, recently um, in Des Moines, there was a, a meeting put on, but two of the uh, leaders in the Iowa Senate and the Iowa House were there, Senator Jack Whitfer and uh, Majority Leader Matt Winshuttle from the House. And they were asked, both asked, what do you want to see happen in this next session? And they both said income tax rates reduced. 
Uh, now, why did they say that? Well, they said that because we look at the states all around the country and uh, states are in competition with each other. And the biggest thing that people are looking at, corporations, uh, high income earners, uh, people in general, are income tax rates and corporate rates. So they know that states that are uh, trying to reduce their rates and get in a competitive uh, stance with the other states uh, are doing better these days. So right now, we're, uh, we did some really good reform in 2018. And uh, but some of some of that's dependent on these certain triggers. Uh, well, my organization would like us number one to get rid of those triggers. We need to, we feel like we need to enact these reforms right away, because these other states, uh, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, they're all right in the midst of trying to reduce their own rates because they're all in competition for people around the country. So if we are waiting for these triggers to take place, we're going to be behind the eight ball uh, here in the state. So we want to say. Let's get going on these. We're in a good financial place in the state of Iowa. We need to enact these reforms right away and maybe even go farther on some of them. And as I recall, and you were right there in it, but as I recall, the reason the triggers were put into place, well, first was to get a little broader support, but because we had had a little bit of a fiscal issue with regard to the budget and some cuts. And the idea was only if the state is in a good situation, therefore it'll trigger and then we will have it. But you're suggesting that things have been turned around quickly enough that negative situation isn't going to come about. Right. I, I agree with that. Um, we're in uh, uh, sitting in a good position for what our reserve funds. Uh, they're all full. We've actually got over $300 uh, a million sitting there above and beyond our reserve funds. So we're actually in a good place. Uh, everybody pretty much acknowledges that nationally the economy is going well. And so um, why not uh, enact some of these uh, reforms right away and get moving on? The number one thing, like, like I've said from the top, was income tax rates. And that's what people are looking at, uh, corporations are looking at, um, especially like uh, uh, Representative Winchettel, who, who's, uh, his district is a border, uh, is on the border. They see South Dakota. But let's take that for an example. Uh, they don't have any income tax. Uh, and so he has seen some of his people move to South Dakota just because of that simple fact that it's it's better on the pocketbook. I was in competition for people. And so let's make our, our taxes system better for that, uh, more, um, more economical, um, more reliable. Uh, and uh, let's get moving on it. There's no reason to wait around. There are folks who say we can't afford it. Can we afford it? It sounds like from what you're discussing, we can afford yeah. it. Uh, and and help me understand what's different now than literally just two years from when we thought we needed triggers. Well, I think the difference is people are feeling better about the overall situation. I mean, two years ago, I think there was probably some trepidation about President Donald Trump and where things were at. And uh, um, three years in, people are feeling pretty good about the economy and where we're going. So um, they feel good about where Iowa is. Um, and so going back to just the, the possibilities of what we could do, our our plans, our, our report comes out with just a plethora of different things that we could do as a state. And um, uh, lowering the income tax on corporate rates are number one on our um, agenda. And so we've got different scenarios of how to get that done. One thing that we didn't really talk about much, even in 2018, was really broadening our tax sales tax base. For instance, there's a lot of things that South Dakota taxes that we don't tax. That's why they can get by without a, an income tax. They, they tax almost everything. So there's a, there's a broadening of our sales tax base that we could do right away that would uh, increase um, revenue coming in and really wouldn't it 
would, wouldn't affect our overall sales tax economy. Uh, and we could lower, at the same time, if we broaden our sales tax base, we could lower our income tax and make it a better, more welcoming state for corporations and high-income earners. Walt Rogers, Deputy Director of the Tax Education Foundation of Iowa. You can read the report, A Better Path Forward for Iowa Tax Reform, authored by the Buckeye Institute's Economic Research Center, and get other related information by going online, tefiowa.org. Still to come, grants for rural communities and making farms more productive and more profitable. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. The USDA's Rural Development Division wants Iowans to know they have a significant amount of grant funding available to help improve emergency services and community facilities. Grant Menke is state director of USDA Rural Development in Iowa and told me there is a broad range of projects that can be funded. So USDA Rural Development is one of eight mission areas at the United States Department of Agriculture and we're the only mission area that's focused exclusively on rural community economic development. So our mission at Rural Development is enhancing economic opportunities and improving quality of life in rural Iowa communities. And through our loans, grants, and partnerships with local leaders, we aim to provide tools and resources that ensure rural families, businesses, and communities have the, uh, the help they need to prosper both today and in the future. So that's what we're all about. With our uh, three different program areas, our housing programs, our business programs, and our community programs, we literally try to be a part of building a community from the ground up. So what does that mean? Well, we you know, aim to be a catalyst for rural prosperity by, as you mentioned, improving high-speed internet access, providing affordable rural housing, connecting rural skill sets to the jobs of the future, ensuring that our communities have access to quality health care, education, and public safety, and then, of course, modernizing our infrastructure, such as roads, bridges, and water systems, and back to where I started to um, high-speed Internet access as well. So we have our hand in a number of areas um, the, the rural development portfolio at the national level is $235 billion. Here in Iowa, we invest about $500 million annually through all of our programs to, again, to help rural communities thrive. Grant Menke, USDA Rural Development State Director in Iowa. You can learn more about these grant opportunities for your business or community by going online, www.rd.usda.gov IA, or simply search for USDA Rural Development. Up next, we'll tell you about how changes in farming have led to the need for managing and sharing information. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report.
The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's profile segment, meet Mark Gannon of Gannon Real Estate and Consulting, based in Ames. He has some 40 years of experience in farm management, real estate sales, ag marketing, and consulting. He's operated his own company for the past 20 years. The farming has all gotten bigger. Landowners have gotten older. The land values have probably, oh, during that period, have at least doubled. Um, we know they went up about 10 times since the late you know, 87, 88 period. Now they've backed off probably 20% since then, but we we know we went we went up about 10 times. Uh, where Story County land might have been selling for a thousand dollars an acre back in 1987, it was bringing ten thousand. Uh, and same thing in southern Iowa, northern Missouri. There's kind of the same multiple. But since that time, it's it's gone up quite a bit. Everything's gotten bigger. We've seen the the hog business has gone pretty well all corporate. Even if people are raising them themselves, they still have to have contracts with corporate people. Where when I got started, there were still people with pigs outside, and there were markets available. You still see some of these markets at the corners where they used to consolidate pigs, and they're most of them are gone now. But that has changed quite a bit. Parcels have gotten bigger. Uh, one thing that I noticed, I've noticed all the way along, but it's really set in the last year, is the farms that, that have some variability aren't as perfect are really being discounted more and more because guys, the farmers have big equipment. Uh, they don't want to buy the ones that are small and cut up. They'll rent them, but they don't want to buy them. And so those farms are being discounted more than they ever used to be. And they're, some of them times are even harder to sell. Southern Iowa is changing quite a bit now because you know people have gotten older, retired. The CRP since the last, oh, you know, that started in about late 80s coming out of the farm crisis. So now we got a lot of these farms that have been in the CRP more or less for 30 years, and and some of those are coming out because the program's not near as good as it was, and now what are we going to do, you know? So things have, are always evolving in farming and agriculture. You know, I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I feel bad for the younger farmers that want to get started, that used to get started with livestock and especially pork, they can't really do that anymore. There are some companies out there that, that raise outside pigs, and actually there's some real opportunities for that, but it's just not real popular to do that. When you talk about these parcels that people don't want because the machinery is too big, I suppose if they're adjacent to or contiguous to a parcel on either side, there might be some market the nearby landowner may want to just simply expand but you don't have the leverage you used to have, in other words. And that actually just happened on a farm in Story County that we had for sale, and, and it's a 300-acre farm that had a drainage ditch through it and a railroad tracks through it, and it had a bridge to get from one side to the other. But we never, or at least I didn't know what that discount was going to be. I had appraised it for around 8900 and then we ended up selling it for about 8000 but it took us six months to do that. And But what, like you say... A couple of the neighbors in the area just, and I thought this would be a slam dunk because some people in the area that were really strong just really weren't weren't interested. Uh, they'd rather wait for one that was square and more ideal. And we ended up getting it sold, 
But again, I I thought that, and I thought I had some discount already in that eighty nine hundred. But mm-hmm. it turns out it, we ended up right at eight thousand. Was all set. Uh, what goes into an appraisal of ground? Well, you just take all the comparables. Uh, it's mostly the comparable sales approach. It, normally, there's an income approach, a comparable sales approach, and also a cost approach. Now, on land, there's no real cost most of the times with ours because there's really not any buildings. And if there are buildings, they don't amount to much. So it's really what's going on in the area, um, what the sales in the area, and then you compare them with the corn suitability rating and the tillable acres and um, location. Now, it's probably as hard a time right now to appraise a piece of land as it has ever been because there's some farms that will sell high and some won't sell so well, and you, it's hard to tell what something's going to do, uh, just like this one. You know, for instance, within three miles of this farm, there was two farms sold this fall for $9,800 an acre. Same CSR, but they're in a better neighborhood. I mean, there are neighbors that were wanted them pretty bad, and they weren't as cut up. And so it's really hard to tell. But, you know, the only thing we can do is try and offer them as best we can. And, and you know, another drawback that we had with this, with, this, with this one piece of land was that we had no information on it. You know, it had been rented for quite a while. The tenant really wasn't willing, and I don't blame him, for giving up the information, the yields, the fertility, any of that stuff. So people questioned. Anymore, I've, I feel it's really becoming a factor that people want information. And if you don't have it, they're going to maybe they're going to err on the side of caution that maybe it hasn't been taken care of very well. Maybe it doesn't yield very well. So you really, the best situation is to try to, is to have good information, have it proven, and uh, lay it all out on the table. That's a part of your business that has evolved, hasn't it, where getting that information from a tenant, for an owner, and vice versa, working together so that there's the free flow of information that actually makes it more efficient and beneficial for all parties. Talk about that aspect of your management business. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the goal is to get to where it's open communication that we can get the owner involved to make sure that that farm is well-maintained, well-taken care of, uh, get the yields up so everybody does well. It doesn't always work out that way. You know, the, the old system was that, the, especially on a cash rent farm, the owner had it was none of his business as to know what was going on and how it was how it was done. But with all the information that's out there, the soil tests, the yield monitor data, and the, what we like to do is structure long-term leases. So, and to do that and to do flexible cash rent leases, we have to have information. And some people don't like to hear this, but almost every farm that we get involved with on a management basis that has been cash rented is n- usually not in very good shape fertility-wise. And we have to get to the bottom of that. And and I don't necessarily blame farmers because they're on short-term leases. Nobody's paying attention. Uh, maybe they fertilize the same way they did 15 years ago, and the yields are more. The the ones the only ones I've seen when I get involved with, unless they've been getting hog manure, are probably need some work one way or the other. Whether it's pH, P and K, and some of the micronutrients. But and that's where we can really where the farmers that are really getting good yields on their own properties have that figured out. But on the rental farms, it's, you know, and, you know, and it's, I mean, if it's a short-term situation, you can't necessarily blame them. They're not going to over-fertilize. So in general, they probably go one, probably go under. In Um, essence, you're just 
planting, grabbing, and going because it's a short-term situation. Right. And what you're trying to do is to foster a longer-term relationship right. because the owner doesn't want to have to deal with it. No. They don't know what's going on. They're just renting it. They want their check, et cetera. But for it to really work, you've got to have both sides, and you're the, the go-between, if you will, the right. intermediary. You've got to have both sides really looking at this as not only sustaining the land for the future, but that's going to help right now. We know that these yields have come up considerably on a lot of these farms. You know, we, I don't know, our highest yield this year was probably 260, 270. But we still got some of those 150, 160s. And that, some of that has, a lot of that has to do with weather. Um, but still, we got to have that farm in the shape that when we do hit it right, and we got the fertility to take care of that. And the drainage, drainage is a big factor too. And with a lot of the older owners, some of them don't want to put any money in it. So we have to work with a tenant. Maybe they, we can do some sort of proration over the years, maybe on some tile, maybe on fertility. And we've got that built into quite a few leases now that where if they over-fertilize to try and get it back up to. We like to see farms at optimum all the way across the board, but that takes time and it takes money to do that. Mark Gannon of Gannon Real Estate and Consulting in Ames. More information about their services can be found online at GannonRE.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, Governor Kim Reynolds will talk about workforce development and why the Future Ready Iowa program is so important to her and to our future. Our one-on-one -on -one conversation and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the people you hear on this program. Those are listed as IBR Extras. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, sponsors of the Taking Care of Business Conference in Cedar Rapids in June. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.